Hello, and we're back again for another episode of It's Time to Refresh with me, Brad Refresh. On this episode, we've got guest DJ, producer Andy Kelly. It's an absolute amazing episode. Straight into the It's Time to Refresh Hall of Fame. It is quality, so funny. Um, for the next hour, you're just going to be belly laughing. I honor, really, really enjoyed this one. If you'd like to hear more of the podcasts, then you can head over to our Facebook community group, which is It's Time to Refresh Dash Community. Or you can follow us on Instagram at It's Time to Refresh. Thank you for your continued support. It's just growing more and more each week. Uh, and I really appreciate everyone who shares it and who listens. Take it. What time is that? It's time to refresh. Just like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. <laughs> <laughs> Except that you won't shit in my bed, so nah, I'm not, in your bed. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really into that. <laughs> That's not my nah, thing. Um, so today's guest we've got on, we've got uh, Andy Kelly, uh, DJ Andy K back in the day, uh, back in the Fusion days. God, I haven't been called that in a while. I know, well, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, you, we'll, go, we'll go back to go forward. Yeah. Uh, saying that, um, where, where did you start off at? Um, I know it's very stereotypical, but I just want to get the story going, I just want to know your background within um, music. This might get a bit hazy, my yeah, memory's not so great, Yeah. so... It started 1999, just got into DJing, got a set of really crappy decks. You know, you always get a set like belt drives or something. Yeah. Um, and I went to see Dave Coates. He owned a club in Workington called Isis. Yeah. Um, so I give him a tape at the time. There was no CDs, mini discs. Well, there was maybe mini discs and stuff, but I gave him a mixtape to maybe try and get a gig. Yeah. Know, get your foot in the door kind of thing. And lo and behold, next couple of days after, he called me up and said, come down. I think I was only 18 at the time or something, 19 maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, I went in, played a half an hour, an hour set or something, and maybe only had 50 records at the time, Not maybe not even that many, enough to do a little set, 30 or something. So, yeah, kind of just went from there. How did you, how did you get into it at the beginning? Like, where 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 did the, mu- the love of music come from? Like, I know that's your, your first gig, but... Where, I went. Where? I went to Forum. Remember that? No, I mean, it was um, Lily Hall. I think it was. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. I do know that club actually. I think I was seventeen, sixteen, or something. Some big DJs played there, didn't they? Yeah, the D died. They had like QFX, yeah. QTech stuff like that. So, so well, and that was like your sort of entry point into it. Well, I used to go. I just used to go there with a few mates. You know, use a fake ID and get because I think I was maybe only seventeen at the time. Going to Forum, so I would go in there and. The DJ, every week, he would always play Run DMC. I would always hear it getting mixed into the same tune every single weekend. I think it was like a Mel C tune or something. Right. And I would walk around the club and I would hear this Mel C tune and then I would hear Run DMC coming in. And over the next few weeks or months or however long it was, he would do the same thing. And I started thinking, there's got to be a reason why it's coming in at the same time. So I went to the DJ box and started watching what he was doing and noticed that he was setting it off at a certain point and it all just, I started figuring stuff out. So that's really when I decided, right, I'm going to get a set of decks and see if my little weird theory works. Yeah, I like you, see if you can duplicate Yeah, that, and that see if what I was thinking about mixing, if that is how you do it, and if it is, I'll probably stick with it and see how it goes. Yeah. So, yeah, I got a set of decks. and So you did that gig and stuff like that. What were you, what were you playing at the gig? What was on the tip? Stuff like Dahul, Meter of the Love Parade, Kamisra, anything that was big, 
June. Around about that time, Greece 2000, Beach Ball, that was on there. I've said that on this, this on every episode so far, but like you were just 18 and 19 at the right time. Like 1999, 2000, every yeah. time I say this. It, it's just fucking the glory. It was right before. So when, we, when I got into ISIS... There was another lad that was with us, Sean Wilson. He came along with us. And it was around about that time when I got into ISIS, Fusion had just either been built and was launching or it was just it was a few months or maybe four or five months before New Year's Eve, 2000, New yeah. Year's Eve. So I had just got into ISIS. Sean was with us and Fusion was just starting to launch. We didn't know any of them lot, like Millsy, Simon, um, vinyl man they were running industry so they just started fusion yeah so obviously we were losing numbers in our club and they were all going to fusion because it was a new nightclub yeah so at the tail end of when that's when i got into isis was at the tail end of when it was closing i think i was only in there maybe i don't know six or seven months and then it closed but the owner just kept it open well he didn't keep it open but it was officially closed and we would just go in lock the doors go upstairs put the tunes on nobody could hear us and we would just party all every, yeah, oh, yeah, know, yeah all night it was essentially a house party wasn't it? that's what it well, is pretty it? much yeah <laughs> so i think i got asked to play at fusion on new year's eve 2000 that was my official foot in the door so over there, that come about like I know that, obviously they that, know you've been playing. That came about because industry was maybe I, I don't know if they were parting ways or something. Something had happened, um, and the industry had stopped. Maybe like new managers took over. I can't really remember. As I say, mm. my memory's quite foggy. So they had a new DJ in there called Tim J. He was like the head DJ. Oh, so so Dave come to you and said, "Oh, we've been asked I, to do this." So. Yeah, well, it was it was like Dave said to me, "ISIS is closing." But I know Tim at Fusion, I kind of get on with Tim, I'll ask him if he can, you know... Right, sort us out, sort of thing. Get your foot in the door over there. So yeah. it was kind of like that. It wasn't like I gave them a mixtape or anything like that and they wanted us because I was anything good. I, mm. I was almost like a bad smell. I was just there all the time. <laughs> and they had, you know what I mean? Yeah. They had no... They, they couldn't really... They, they were just like, oh, he's always here. Let him have a go, you yeah. know, that type of thing. So that's how that worked out. And then I started, you know, connected with Millsy and we were partying and doing whatever we were doing. Yeah. And ISIS kind of died down and it was fusion every week. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So really. how, how did you get to know Millsy? I asked Millsy on the last podcast. So like, did you have a, a mutual um, like for certain music? or, or No, how did you get no, on? it was purely a DJ thing. He was in fusion. I was in ISIS. We probably did meet, you know, at that crossover point, but it was basically when I got to Fusion, Millsy sort of carried me in yeah. kind of thing, gave me a nice warm blanket, showed me the ropes, yeah. um, lent me equipment. If I, I can remember one time I called him up. I'd only known him maybe, I don't know, a few months or whatever, and I called him up on a Sunday. He was having dinner with his girlfriend and his family. Mm. And I rang him and said, can you lend me a mixer? He just got a brand new DGM 500 with a flange button. And <laughs> I pressed it one time and it was the best thing I ever heard. Yeah. So I rang him and said, can you lend us your mixer? And he did. He dropped everything and dropped it off for us. He yeah. would just literally do anything for anyone. So, yeah. so that's how it kind of evolved from there. We were just like almost inseparable when we were at Fusion. We were doing yeah. everything together. We started... 
hard house together. We started producing together. We started gigging together. It was awesome. Yeah. One of the best, probably the best 10 years I've ever had. <laughs> I know, and understandable as well, because it's like, you but not that you come up together, but like, you were breaking new ground together. Like, yeah. with hard house and that, it was brand new round here. But like, you both had a crack at it at the same time, like producing a tune. He told me about uh, In Your House. Um, yeah, that was the very first Hard House tune I had ever made. I was making, well, I was that was in 2004, and I started with Fruity Loops, sort of messing about with tunes in maybe 2001 or something. And my tunes before that, I can't really remember what it was. What's that? I think it was Scouse music and right. Bounce and stuff like that. And I was getting like old vocals and making cr really crappy bounce tunes. And then Millsy rang me up and said, do you fancy making an hard house tune? And I had never really listened to it. I think that was the first time I got introduced to hard house. Yeah. And he was like, you know, it's just big fat kick drums, big solid bass lines and hoovers. And I was like, well, what's a hoover? You're going to have to show us one of these. So he showed us what it was. I was like, oh, that's the sound in this tune or that tune yeah. or what you know whatever so we started messing about with some hard house stuff and i had a cd it was an nwa cd that was on top of a speaker i kind of turned to get some and this cd fell on the floor and i was like oh what's this so I picked it up it didn't have anything on it it was just a blank cd put it in the computer hit track one and track one was i can't remember what it was called it started off with this sound of a girl in a house and she was on the phone to the cops saying <laughs> that there's somebody in her house that was the start of the cd i'm yeah. guessing it was like a little intro for this nwa cd so i put it in to see what it was and i heard that and i was like right i'm gonna rip that and put that in this hard house tune and that's how i got the idea to yeah. make that in my house it right. literally came from a cd falling on the floor by pure chance yeah so i, I kind of just plucked that little sample part it was only about nine seconds maybe eight seconds or something added a few hoovers put a kick drum over it made it sound really nasty and hard and yeah. sent it off and it got signed which was yeah. absolutely insane <laughs> at the time it, it, it's crazy looking back at it like how some people were like we'll be doing this and it would be like or like constantly trying to get onto a certain label and, and sending tunes and just getting rejected yeah and then you've come along and you've accidentally created yeah and essentially i, a, I a, think a still tune, back yeah. then i don't think we were like we weren't really pushing for labels i don't think i think mm -hmm. because digital labels kind of just started up and everyone was bringing out a digital label i think even i me and millsy had a digital label at one point we were putting stuff out yeah so it was so easy to do but in terms of like labels like vicious and tidy we well, at least I knew back then that I could never ever get a tune out to that standard. It just what it, I, I just knew I couldn't do that. But it was it was nice to get tunes out on small digital labels, yeah. especially back then. I was only twenty two, twenty three, or and I had only been DJing maybe three or four years. So it was more about bragging rights. That's yeah. well, no, it's getting your name out there as well. At well, the same time, it, like nobody yeah. knows who you are as a producer if you're not getting on labels that people recognise. Yeah, you know I, mean? I mean that in my house it did boost mine and Millsy's sort of hard house journey. It did kind of lift that up a little bit. So. So that was all right. It got onto an album and 
sold a bunch of copies and we made nothing from it. Yeah. In fact, I'm still five pound down on that deal. <laughs> I had to buy my own record. They didn't even send us one. Oh, that's they, nasty. That yeah, way. they didn't. Yeah. Nothing, nothing changes now. Like, I think there's only maybe like one label that even pays me, maybe. If that, and it's like, no, it's, it's, it's pathetic. Do you know what? Like, yeah, I've had some absolutely mental royalty checks, like for yeah. um, three pence and I've had that 16 as well. pence. It's like, what? It's, why even send it? There's no point. Yeah. There really is no point. It's not that there's no point. At least, at least still send it. Like They should at least do a, a £50 limit, a threshold oh, yeah, limit. So like you'd that, have to, yeah. you know, have more than £50 in sales before you get something there's yeah. no point in sending 13 pence or whatever but, but honestly like i it's it, it's always the same thing I, well this way i found it anyways like when you when you release a tune you maybe get it for the first two quarters mm. and then like like I've, I've had tunes on my on my label that that of other people's mm. um and I put it out, and then the next minute, like it, do, it does its initial run of the first sort of quarter. It does, yeah, but it first usually it dies off after that. It dies it? off, but then um, there's one or two tunes in particular that that some some for whatever reason get popular with streaming months and months down the line. Yeah, I could have been a shitty person. And oh, of course, off, yeah, but and just, like, yeah, but you know, do you know what I mean? Like, you can't be, you can't do that. But then, like. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that person who goes, goes and chases like. Uh, I know I released a tune with you like a year ago. Surely there's some things. <laughs> like, I know it's probably pence and whatnot. Yeah, but for, but... it's just uh, like because even now, like if every every quarter I get like royalty statements off my label, the yeah. dist- off the distributor. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like 10, 12 quid off for an old tune that's that's getting decent streaming yeah. revenue, I'll still I'll still bank transfer it to the producer just just out of like. I'd like it up to me, but yeah, know, we're not all decent people. I'm not saying I'm a decent person either. I, I like to think I am, <laughs> but um, yeah. So you obviously got on infusion and that. What, um, what what sort of tunes were you playing at this this time? We were playing early on. I mean, like, do you know back then at the start of fusion, we were playing trance. I'm pretty sure it was funky house and full big trance tunes like delirium, silence, yeah, um, cat blank, all that. It was what was big at the time because that's what people knew and then the bounce and donk and scouse and i think it was if i remember rightly it was res q and bcd project and all them boys they started bringing in um bouncy stuff and it kind of the trance sort of phased out because we didn't have anything sort of commercially sound and enough to keep up with it, unless we recycled Delirium Silence every single week for about, you know, 10 years, it's not going to yeah. work. At some point, you've got to change and you've got to play stuff that people know because there's new people coming in and stuff. Do you know what's mental? Like, And, and honestly, it's because obviously waves come and go and stuff like that. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, it's mental how, like, Mike Descala's been on top for like twenty years. Like it's crazy. But, yeah. you know, like it, it's not even that his name. It's not. It's not his name that holds. I think. Yeah. He could bring it out as like BCD. You could yeah. bring it out as Rescue. He could bring it out as Recon in his hardcore. Yeah, music. that guy has shaped a yeah. full scene. And I he, know, but, he, but now though, Camel Fat, what the fuck? Like, yeah. He's obviously like there's something there within, like, because 
obviously you make connections in all scenes. Like yeah. me and you aren't in the same scene. Yeah. But like, if I was to make a, 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 a like a trans tune or a trans tune, I'd send it to you and say, "Is this is this the sort of style? Is this yeah. going the right direction?" Or you'd send me a bounce tune, and we'd be like, "Is this what people are making?" Yeah. Because obviously, I don't know. Eh? Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. What's, exactly. Yeah. And and I'd give you a thing. So you make your connections through music, mm. but like for him to be able to dominate so many scenes in like yeah. Honestly, crazy. I see. I literally seen a status today of like, um, oh, I would love it if Recon came back to hardcore for like one gig, and it's like, <laughs> and and but it got like two hundred comments on the thing. I'm like, he's obviously a fucking god yeah. wherever he goes. Yeah, one hundred percent. Some people have just got it, eh? Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, so you were playing like sort of you moved on to the bounty stuff. Were you were you a fan of that stuff? Like, um, yeah, at the time, I think it was when I first heard about Rob Kane, I first found a Rob Kane CD, and it had a little bit of scratching at the start. I was already kind of into scratching with listening to DJ Sai and stuff like that, but when I first heard Rob Kane, I was like, right, this this is what I want to do. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's what sparked me off. So if I wanted to scratch like that, I need to start playing music like that as well. Right. So I started researching what, what the tunes were, finding out what they were, and realising that guys like Ultra Beat and BCD Project and stuff like that were reworking stuff like Snap, Rhythm is a Dancer, which is yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's not. It's still old, it's still classic, but it's just been redone. And this is like now a new style of music that we can sort yeah. of get into. So trance kind of veered off one way and scouts house and a little bit of bounce started to drip feed took out, like took over the, yeah. the area so to say. yeah and it was at one point it was a mix of 50 50 then it was 70 30 and then it was you know all bounce yeah. and scouts and funky house and stuff so how, how did you how did you find like the 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 bounce stuff like as it took over were you were you embracing it as a new like commodity? yeah because at the time it's all I knew, like it was that and Hard House, and obviously yeah. Hard House was something that I did when I walked out of Fusion. Yeah. The only time Hard House was ever in Fusion was if me and Millsy made a Hard House tune at my house, we would road test it in Fusion. So we would go, we were on, we always did the first hour and last hour. So we did 10 to 11, yeah. and 11, 12, what? And then we did two till three. So we did first hour and last hour. But if we were making Hard House music, or we made any tune, we would go to the club at maybe half nine and test it out in the club. So that was really the only time Hard House was ever associated with Fusion. Yeah. So with the bounce thing, um, I, I had no, I couldn't really complain or anything. It was either get stuck with the trance that people know, but obviously recycle it every yeah. single week, and I didn't want to do that, or start to play this new stuff, which is still got a trancey element to it, this yeah. Scouse stuff, you know, with the classic rework stuff, um, and just play stuff like that and kind of drip feed that in and take some of the trance away. We still kept a few big, really big trance tunes like Christine Blonde, Love Shy. Yeah. We tend to always play the Electronic Boutique, I think it is, That's like the original that, yeah. trance one. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a melody. In we would it? always stick with that rather than playing, you know, the Rescue, the new yeah. Rescue version or whatever. That still worked, but we always like to have one or two, you know, big tunes that we would play. Mills, he would always play Toucan, like a yeah. rainbow. He would always be known for playing that. So we still held on to a few, but... But for the I, most part, yeah, we ended up it just being you know scouse house basically. When I when I when I first started seeing you on 
like I, I was a lot younger at the time and I was still in school and I first started seeing your name on flyers and stuff like that obviously you go into like a, a, a kebab shop and there'd be like the latest like yeah. what's, what's going on in Fusion it'd be like four weeks worth of yeah they always had a few on the same yeah. flyer so it was always I, I'd always see your name but it was always associated with say like um, Dance Factory or, or whatever yeah. two show one was yeah. on at the time so like and I just thought you were a bounce stager. Yeah. yeah. And like, and then obviously as I get to know you, you I discovered that you, you, you dabbled in the hard house stuff, and then mm. I, I, I discovered, discovered your energy stuff later on. Yeah. And I was just like, oh well, he's, he's versatile. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like. Yeah, I tried to, I, I tried to do because obviously you don't want to take your work home with you. So if I'm in fusion every weekend playing scouse music and yeah. house music and all that sort of stuff, I don't really want to go home and still do the same thing. So it's nice to do something different. Yeah. So there, there was a point where Hard House gigs started to take off, at least for me and Millsy it did. And so what year was this then? This was around about, well, just after In My House came out. So in between 2004 and, say, 2007 right. or 2008, I did quite a lot in, in that time with Hard House. Um, and the manager from Fusion used to get really bitchy about me not doing fusion and now going to play somewhere else. What was your first out of town gig? My very first out of town gig was. Um, do you know something? I don't even know. It must. Be, it must have been. Oh, I think it was um, from when we got in my house signed to the label. I don't really want to say the label, but we got it signed to the label. That label ran an event in Leeds. Right. And they had us on. So that I think that was the first time I officially played out somewhere. I'd played at Fusion in front of, you know, they had a thousand people in there. Yeah. And it, you kind of get used to that. It's not as spectacular anymore. Like if you had a gig tomorrow and yeah. you went into a club and there was a thousand people there, it would be an unreal gig. But if you do that every single week for three years, yeah. it's, it just it, becomes... It's, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's, it's not. It's, mill, isn't it's, it? Yeah, so... Getting to go to, you know, I think it was in Leeds or somewhere. Getting to go there and yeah. play at a hard house gig to less people. It felt, but your it name's felt on flyers more... and stuff like that. I'd done yeah. events in Fusion, but I'd never been booked to play out somewhere. I'd never travelled somewhere yeah, with yeah. records and stuff like that. So it was probably around 2004 and it was at Leeds for a hard house gig for, I think it was a launch night of a tune, the tune or something. It was mm. something like that, but... So, yeah, and I think I got paid, <laughs> thinking now, it's all coming back to us, I think I got paid in a box of Hard House tunes. Ah, that's yeah, that's quite good. I, got well, offered, right. I, I, I think paid. I got offered money, like 50 quid or summer, or do you want this massive box of Hard House tunes? And because I, it was my first Hard House gig and first Hard House sign, and I was like, well, I'll take the tunes. I took the tunes, I think. So yeah. that worked out all right. Definitely. Like, uh, I think my first gig, um, honestly, uh, uh, first out of town one at least, I'm still waiting to be paid. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, oh, man, it's a fucking horror story. It's like... Oh, I've got plenty of gigs where I've went to, you know, miles away and they're yeah. like, oh, we'll give you your bank details and it's never happened. Never materialised. Yeah. It's, uh, I know the feeling, like, I, I've I've worked for a set promoter when I was first starting out, young, naive, and it was a good, a good branded name, um, and I thought, Do you know what, this is this could be like my foot in the door for getting getting my name established and whatnot. Mm. And then it's come down to it. Went and went and done the gig, and it was it was sort of dead. 
and yeah, and he'd be like, "Oh, I haven't got enough money to pay you," and whatnot. And I was like, "All right." He says, "But I'll tell you something. I've got a gig on in in Morecambe tomorrow, right?" And I was like, "Right." He's like, "If you come and if you come and do a set down there for me." Um, right. I'll give you, I'll give you hundred quid because at first I was getting fifty quid. He said, yeah. "I'll give you hundred quid," and I thought, "Well, it's good exposure for me. Might be able to network with a few people and that." Got down there. Once again, there was about thirty people in the club. But bear in mind, it's old. It's the old. Can you remember? Have you ever been to the Carlton in Morecambe? It's quite, no, I don't think it's so. Quite a popular, popular venue back in the day. Yeah, it used to be called the Empire, I think. Um, and it's it's quite a big venue. And if you've got 30 people inside, it looks like you've got two people inside. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's so what It just waters it down. So, like, 30 people inside. And he came up to me and he was like, these, these bouncers are going to give me a hiding because I haven't got money to pay them either. And, <laughs> and, I, and I just drove home and I thought, what the fuck? I still haven't been paid by you. Yeah. He's blocked me on Facebook since then, mind. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's one of them things. I've been I've been done twice by the same guy. So you got done once then. Yeah. You got, you well, you got kind of got done over twice. You got... You'd done your first gig, didn't get yeah. paid, and got promised to go down to another gig and get paid twice. Yeah. I fell for it three times. Oh, God. I went to the second one, and I'm not sure if... it was. In fact, the second one that I went to, the promoter had left early, and that was right. the excuse for number two. I was like, right, you owe us two nights' wages, and one of the girls who was there said, oh, the promoter's left. He said, he'll ring you tomorrow. So I was like, right, okay. I was in, I, th- I think it was Wales or somewhere like that, and I was staying in a hotel. And the next morning when I got up, the promoter guy called me up and said, if you can go to this other club in Wales, I'll meet you there and I'll give you three nights' wages. And I was oh. like, right, well, I'm already in Wales, so... You know, I might as well do it. So I got there, did my set, and halfway through my set, somebody somebody had let off pepper spray, CS gas bomb. Wow. So the, have you ever been CS gas before? No, I haven't. Uh, the feeling, it goes from everything being normal to the top of your eyes are melting. That's what it feels like. That's why you've got to shut your eyes or pour stuff in your eyes. So the yeah. first thing I did was I knew what it was because I knew the smell. I, I, know, I know what it smells like. First thing I did was knock the music off, pull my headphones out, got my CDs, and just left. I didn't do anything else, I just left. So I waited outside, waiting for the promoter to find out what was going on. And the manager was saying, can you come back in? I said, there's no chance. I'm not playing in a club that's just got pepper sprayed. It's not going to happen. So I just said, I just want want my wages and I want to leave. And the manager was like, oh, you're going to have to see the promoter. I've already paid him. Well, where's he at? He's left. Oh, I was like, again. you absolute dildo. Like, yeah. so, <laughs> so I left and done a full weekend of three full nights. I was supposed to get 150 quid each night, 450 yeah. quid down the Swanee. Yeah. I had to pay the guy who took me. He he was complaining about petrol money. I was you, screwed. You I didn't, as well. Yeah, I didn't have much money on us. I, I thought I was getting wages. You know, mm. you rely on weight. Sometimes when you're DJing, yeah. People just think all DJs have already got thousands in the bank, and it it doesn't work like that. You're usually working from you know set to set sometimes, yeah. unless you've got month to month, isn't it? That's what yeah, it is. sometimes. If, if, that's your full, if your if your if your full time job, it's like, like obviously I had fusion and yeah. you know stuff like that, but it was it's sometimes you rely on DJ money, especially back then when you're first starting and stuff like that. So to do a full weekend. 
and Miss Fusion and have the manager known he's pissed off with us for yeah. not going to Fusion and then travelling back from Wales with not having 450 yeah. quid, it's, yeah, it's, it's soul destroying it? yeah. sometimes. But back then, it's especially with most new DJs, it doesn't really affect you because it's a gig at the end of the day. I know yeah. you've lost money and you were promised money and stuff like that, but. You're not really I, I think if I go back to that car journey home now and that promoter rang me up and said something like, I'm sorry I didn't pay you, but can you stop off at Manchester on your way home to play another gig? I probably would have done it because at the time I just wanted to DJ. Yeah. And any money was, you know, extra money. Yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from, mate. It's... It, uh... We live. We live in a time where, where now you can you can publicly out people and the, the ill, you can fuck their promotion up. But mm. and and I think that's why it's a bit more fair nowadays. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, when it happened to me, it was it was sort of like probably ten years ago now, and it's one of them things, isn't it? Like time goes by and especially with social media now it would never happen. Yeah, like maybe it does happen and promoters do screw DJs, but. Not to that extent anymore, I wouldn't have thought, because yeah. it's so easy to go onto Facebook now and say, this guy, don't work for him, he owes us for three nights and he's just an absolute lunatic. Yeah. Yeah, don't trust him. You know, that it would probably get through and people would, you know, listen to it or whatever. But, yeah, back then there was, I don't even, I think I maybe had people or my speed there was no real way to out somebody yeah. and if you did nobody would care because half of the people probably wouldn't see it anyways so, yeah exactly you know exactly. i probably didn't have data on my phone to go and do this <laughs> Nah, i know exactly what you mean so like moving forward sort of <clears throat> later 2000s you actually built a name for yourself pretty fast really over over, over a couple of like years you would say so like within within Locally, um, you were you were you were DJ Andy K, the, the, yeah. the sort of fusion guy. But outside of that, you were you were the hard house DJ as well. Like I I remember seeing just videos online, like on YouTube and stuff like that, and it was just like you scratching and like like yeah. uh, you were known for that that scratching thing. And as you say, like you, you had a good reputation for yourself, like locally and and elsewhere. I think. I think a lot of it came from learning to scratch early because, especially with our house, because it's so fast, it's it's kind of hard to scratch that fast. So me being a young book who all, kind of already knew how to scratch and what the, what the deal was with it, all I had to do was train myself to speed up my tempo, yeah. you know, 10 BPM or whatever it was. How, how, how did you learn at first? Because obviously we live in a world now where I could just go onto YouTube and it's like, oh, this is a baby scratch. Or, well, I, don't, I don't know what they call that. Um, I was listening to a DJ Psy mix. I uh, can't remember what it was, Bonkers or yeah, yeah. Hardcore Heaven or whatever it was that was out in 2001 or two or whatever. Um, because I had listened to his scratching so many times, it was to the point where I was moving my hand, following what he was doing, and thinking that's got to be. Did you know that it, it was samples he was scratching? I knew, yeah, or... I knew because I was kind of already into DJing, and obviously when you queue up a record before the first beat, there's a gap, isn't there? Yeah. So it's nothing. So I would maybe you know scratch with a kick drum or something like that, and yeah. I kind of figured out that it must be a sample. It must have a gap at the start. Yeah, this has got to be. So I would follow along to DJ side doing his little small routines and so you were, right. you were learning at like 170 
Like, because obviously, um, he's, 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 it, yeah. I wasn't learning to scratch at one seventy. You know, was I was, I was, I was learning just figuring out what was going on. Yeah, and figuring out that it's, it's got to be his hand has to be on this record with a sample moving forwards and backwards at a certain amount of distance and doing it in a specific time, and it's got to be within you know a space of kick drums or whatever. Yeah, I kind of just pieced all the information together. Right. And when I got my first set of decks, when I got my first set of techniques, it was on there where I kind of figured out small little DJSI routines. I think I was learning to hardcore scratch first, but it was very, very basic stuff like chirp scratches, just simple forwards and backwards and cutting it off. Yeah. And I was using the line switch, the old line switches on the old mixers. I know you're on And it always yeah. went from... Fono to line, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it always... Yeah, Fono was always on the right and line was yeah. on the left. So that meant if you were to scratch with that line switch and switch to a crossfader, your crossfader would now be in hamster mode, which yeah. is reversed. And that's why my crossfader's reversed or backwards because I originally learnt with a line switch because right. it would cut on and off really, really nicely. <laughs> so it kind of escalated from there. And then I heard uh, Bosch CD by Eddie Alliwell. Right. And the first time I heard that, he was scratching over the dawn. I think it was Tony DeVitt, the dawn. Yeah. That was the stepping stone for me to learn to scratch to trance music and that style of speed, 140 to 145 or whatever, yeah. to slow it down a little bit. When I first heard the Eddie Alliwell scratch, I was 110% convinced that it wasn't real, that he used some kind of computer or, you know, a mixer or something like that. And it well, was... was it just the timing and stuff like that? No, it was like the it. speed and the... The technique. The, it yeah. was the speed of what he was doing and it was the amount of notes and dots he was getting in such a small space of time because you've got to remember, all I knew at the time was flicking a line switch on and off. That was he. Two fingers yeah. on the line switch and doing one movement on, one movement off. I didn't know that you could grab hold of a crossfader and go into crab mode yeah. and flick it four times in this one in, space. In a space of a beat, I didn't yeah. know anything like that. And then we had a new promoter come into Fusion. It was called Clarky from Scotland, he was. Ah, uh, Mills, you mentioned him. Yeah. Uh, did, is, is this the... He used to run in Scotland in Cavos, is it? Yeah. Yeah, right. Go I'll on, tell man. you... Yeah, I'll tell you a Cavos story. That's, that's quite funny. Um, <laughs> So Clarky came to Fusion. He must have seen. I think he'd seen it on um, Clubavision when it was on TV. Yeah. Remember yeah. when it went on there? Uh, he must have seen it on there and decided, oh, that's a good spot to run a couple of events. So he came up. He had his event Utopia. Had some unbelievable and probably the best. He was probably one of the best promoters of that club. Him and Marco. Had I, some, I, I, and do I obviously Dobby believe, put loads in. I strongly believe that like promoting, do you know, like promoting an event, there's a skill to it. Oh, and well, I think a lot I, of people... 100%, like, yeah. There's no way I like, could do it. Can, like, I can barely get to a gig without, you know, getting stressed out. Yeah. No, but like you were saying about like how you picked up on scratching and stuff like that. Mm. The, like the, the idea of marketing an event and everything like that, it, it, there's, there is an an art form to it it's and, and there is I don't care what anyone says yeah you've got to have a lot of patience yeah. you know so for him to say like your favourite promoter in a club that gets, getting at a thousand people in regularly mm. he's obviously decent at what he does there like, yeah definitely so, so so yeah he came Clarky came up and put a couple of events on and one of them was he booked Eddie Alliwell to come up and I somehow magically got to warm up for him 
So me being a fanboy, right after I'd finished, he went on, started scratching, and now I know what's going on. Yeah. Now everything's falling into place. Now I've got something new to learn. I can learn some new stuff. I can learn how he does these things. So I tried for a while, and it didn't work out. Right. It's, and still to this day, I still can't scratch like Eddie Alluel. People say, so often say, oh, you, you know, you, you can scratch just as good as Alluel. It's like, we, it's different. You don't understand. I can't, I'm not doing the crab thing that he's doing. Yeah. It's so unique of how this guy scratches. So I decided to develop my own way. And the way I developed it was when I heard Rob Kane CDs and John Neal CDs and heard the way they were doing their shuffles. And I understood that it was more of a record movement, which meant now if I still wanted to use the line switch at the top of the mixer to scratch and create amazing sounding shuffle noises that Halliwell does, but, you know, not the same, it's now possible because most of the work is on the record side. So you shuffle in the record instead of crabbing the crossfader. Right, yeah, okay. The way Halliwell does it is... He gets all of his notes and little shuffle noises from mostly from the crossfader. Yeah. And he's not really moving the record or CD deck as much. He's kind of just going forwards and backwards at, yeah, at a really slowish pace and not shuffling the sound. So he does it that way. And John Neal and Rob Kane did it the other way. They yeah. were shuffling the record and just opening up the crossfader once and not having to you know, do anything funky with the crossfader. I just basically dice, I just dissected John yeah. Neal's scratching and it maybe took me about five years. Didn't watch any tutorials. Uh, I don't think I met up with John Neal or maybe it didn't take five years, maybe it only took one year or something because not long after that I did a scratch battle with John Neal. Yeah. So I, I kind of yeah. just dissected what John Neal was doing and what Rob Kane was doing and maybe... That was the start of seeing stuff on YouTube. There's maybe I'll maybe show you a video, John Neal video on YouTube that he done. It was I've seen it, man. Like bounce. Is, is it the one that got the the reply from? Yeah, that, he yeah, like yeah, called yeah, up yeah. his name or something. John Neal and takes it away and does some. Yeah, and that was the first time I'd ever seen it. So that was always good. I could now see what's going on. I could I figured out some stuff. I decided that I'm never going to be able to scratch like Halliwell. I'm going to have to figure out another way. Mm. So I, I found this John Neal video, and from then I just grinded maybe four, five, six hours every single day. Well, you know what yeah. it's like when you get your decks back yeah. in the day, they're always on, they're always spinning. They're always on, and you've, you've always got time. As yeah, well. you've, you've always got, got people time. in. You probably, at the time, I was living with my mom at Salterbeck, so. Mm. You know, I could, it was unreal. Yeah. I had people in all the time, we were mixing for hours. Now I, I couldn't really do that. Now it's just not my thing anymore. I've, yeah. I've done it all. I haven't really got time to switch my decks on and mix for five hours and, you know, do all this stuff. I'd rather, you know, get paid for the yeah. five hours instead. And yeah, yeah you know, scratch. It makes sense. Makes sense, absolutely. So you you were then sort of like, you've got the scratching down to an art and that. You met this this uh, Clarky. What, where did you go from, from here? Obviously, so I met Clarky. Um, Clarky came before the In My House thing, 2004. Yeah. So if we skip back a couple of years, when Clarky came, it was maybe 2002 or something, 2001, 2002, yeah. around that time. 
I was doing all of Clarky's events. He, because I was a resident of Fusion, like I say, you know, I was the guy who was like, oh, he's always here. Just, you know, get him on, put him on yeah. first or something. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So because I was already in Fusion, when Clarky came up, I think he, he kind of took, well, I don't think he took pity on anybody. It was just we were residents in Fusion. So yeah, you've got to, you've, it, it, you've he didn't got to have with to, them, haven't you? you he didn't have, have to put us on, you, you know but I mean? he just did put us on. I don't know yeah. why he put us on. He, I don't know if it was people would come because we, we the locals yeah. would come because we were on or whatever but anyways Absolutely. put us on the first night me and Millsy we did all right and he said right I'll put you on all the time so that was like right awesome so he did maybe four or five events did the Halliwell event mm. and then somehow managed to line up six weeks in Greece and he needed a basically like a full promotion team he needed himself the promoter a yeah. couple of djs a f couple of fire breathers um promoters to go around with flyers and stuff yeah. like that he needed everyone he needed a big group of us a big team we would all go over everything was sorted out fine so, so, so you're there what how long are there for the season or a week two six weeks, weeks six we weeks there, right, right yeah. yeah so you know trippy kev yeah oh yeah i <laughs> know <laughs> trippy kev Oh man, I don't think I've spoke about this a couple of times, but it's not really out there. But go on, I'm gonna ask me. Fuck it, I'll just spill the beans. <laughs> so basically, the DJs were me, Clarky. I'm not sure if Millsy came with us first or if he came second because I went over there twice. Right. So there was me as a DJ. There was a uh, Nelly as a DJ. Clarky was also a DJ and the promoter. There was a team of us and mm. Trippy Kev. Trippy Kev's the star of the show, yeah. He always is. I've just seen him in a rave. He's <laughs> got them fucking sticks, man. He was with us last week. Last I had a gig last week in Carlisle and he was with us. Lo and behold, took his poise out, you know what they are, like yeah. flashing things there, yeah. stealing the show on the dance floor. Everyone loved it. <laughs> So anyways, I was like, I was 22 at the time. I was mm. like, this is unbelievable. I'm going to Greece. I'm going to DJ in Greece. This you absolute, made it? That was it. That, <laughs> I was like, that, yeah, that's yeah. unbelievable. Like, I don't have to pay for I'm getting my flights paid for. Yeah. I've got a hotel room. I think I had like, I staying in an apartment above a kebab shop, which was even more convenient. So if I was ever hungry, I'd just walk yeah. down the stairs and get like an unreal kebab or whatever. That's 22-year-old five-star hotel, though. Like, it was <laughs> like perfect. There was now in the room, it was a shitty room. It was, yeah. there was there was only a bed, a small fridge, no TV, nothing, no aircon, not like that. It was it was a dive like, but it was fine. I was happy with it. I was in yeah. Greece. I didn't care. I'd have slept on the streets because it was nice and warm. Yeah. So we all went over, and obviously when you go somewhere to like you know a different country or whatever. You always you always go nuts on the first night, don't you? It's yeah, like you right, mental. We're gonna go in, go to the hotel, we'll drop our shit off, and we'll just go out and just get absolutely wasted. So that's exactly what we did. Get, we, get out your system as well. If you're there for six weeks, get right out your system. We went out. We all dropped our shit off in our hotel. No, actually, this was an actual hotel. I wasn't in the kebab shop. That was the second time. Mm. We were all in a hotel, like a big complex or whatever and we all got rooms next to each other oh yeah so it was in like a big hotel complex you know uh, workers accommodation type thing right? yeah t that type of thing where all the holiday reps and stuff yeah, where yeah. all them what leave we got to our hotel dropped all our shit off 
and we had to walk down this giant hill before you get to the street. Walk down a hill, and maybe there's another hill to another hotel yeah. up that way with more reps in. And then you would go down the hill, turn left or right or whatever, and you're on the strip. So it's not hard to get back to the hotel from where we're drinking on the main strip. Yeah. So we all went out, got absolutely trolleyed for like six hours or whatever. And it was time to go home. Everyone was wrecked. We probably had like pills or coke and stuff like that. Everyone yeah. smoking weed and stuff. So everyone was trolleyed. I mean, we were fucked. Absolutely fucked. Yeah. Me, Clarky, <laughs> and everybody else except Kev went back to our hotel. I think maybe Kev had pulled or he was just doing his own thing. No, it's or whatever. just Kev, isn't it? Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I've, I've noticed I've had crack with him and that like on nights out and then. He, he's quite the lone ranger, doesn't he, when it, when it comes yeah. to it? Like, he, he'll just go off and do his own thing. Yeah. So, obviously, Kev's a grown man. We don't need to look after him. He's, he's fine. It's Kev. Yeah. We all went back to our hotels, got into our hotels, went to bed, got up the next day. And I got woke up to Kevin walking in my room, scratches all down the side of his, like, one side of his face, black eye, Clothes all ripped. I'm laughing. It's not like, easy. Pockets out. Fucking one shoe on, maybe. <laughs> you know. Fucking hell. And I'm like, Kev, what's happened? He said, I'm gonna have to. I might have to leave. I'm like, what? What do you mean, leave? What have you done? Have you fucking murdered someone or somewhere? He was like, Nah, the rep, the holiday reps. They're all. They're all after us. And I'm like, What? What have you done, Kev? What? What's happened? He said, well, do you know that big hill that we walk up to the hotel? I said, yeah. He said, well, I walked up the other big hill next to it. And because both of the hotels kind of look similar, he walked to the wrong hotel, tried his key. His key didn't work, so he went round to the front. And the, uh, his, he thought his hotel room window was open. Obviously, it's red up. People oh. leave the windows open. He was like, oh, that's obviously mine. Drunk as fuck at, like, five, four in the morning. Yeah. Climbed through the window... And got into bed with a rep that was asleep, <laughs> a holiday rep that he took Class. most of his clothes off and got into bed with this rep, holiday rep. So obviously the, this guy got up, wow. thought he was getting robbed, battered Kev, <laughs> threw all his clothes out, kept one of his trainers and said, you're not getting this back and, oh, and told him. Uh, Kev had obviously said, oh, I'm here with a promotion team, we're DJing for the next six weeks. And the rep had said to Kev, if you're not off this island by tonight, we're all just going to keep battering you. So Kev, <laughs> day one, we got there, <laughs> Kev was put on a flight back home, <laughs> ordered off the island of Kavos. That is class, like, that is class. So that was, f so you can imagine what it was like for us. A any holiday rep we seen, it was it was weird, eh, because there was They fucking... knew exactly who, who you were with as yeah, well, Yeah, and, we, you know, like... That's, we... that's proper typical of him, like, like... I just think it's funny. Absolutely mental. He was um, <laughs> day one as well. Day one, Kev. Oh. And you couldn't hold it together. Oh. Hey, I'll have to send him this. Hey, he'll love it. He'll love it. But I'm pretty sure that I'm almost certain we when we did we did the six weeks, or we did a couple of weeks, I, I can't remember, but I know we went back because I, I can remember being in the kebab shop room. That was when we went back. Pretty sure Kev came back with us. He took the chance and came back. And he was like, "I want to come back. I'll, I'll just take the chance. If there, I'll just leave or whatever." But he came back, and obviously, that, it must have been different reps or whatever. It was maybe yeah. the next year or something, mm. and it was fine. We did our thing, and Kev didn't get kicked off. He, 
you know, it was all Class. good. But I'm pretty sure he was there. I don't know if he was there. I think he was just there as a promoter. Like, his job, along with my job, because I ended up getting roped into doing it, because I simply thought I was a DJ. I thought I could live the high life all day and just DJ. But yeah. obviously, you've got to pull your weight and you've got to get up at, like, five and post flyers on the street before the shop's open because they yeah. don't like it if you're doing it. You know, cops come round and they tell you to take the flyers down or whatever. Right. So we would get up at like half four, five o'clock before ev everyone else, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> when the strip's quiet and everyone's gone home and the shops, there's like you get a little hour, hour window in between everyone going home to bed and the shops opening back up in the morning. So we would have to get up and, you know, go up and down and fly in. There was me, Kev, and whoever else was there. Obviously, Clark, he didn't do it because he was the boss. So he yeah. was, you know, swanning about on quads or whatever. <laughs> Living the high life. <coughs> yeah, we actually rented quads while we were there. And um, they took our passports off us. And within, I don't know, three minutes, Clarky had totaled his quad and ripped a bus off with him. <laughs> and because he, at the time he was he was quite successful, he still is now. He's got a shop. He, he's got a shop fitting business. So yeah. that's what he he does. He fits like shops, and he's got a full construction business. So that was now to him. He, they had all our passports, and we were freaking out, thinking we weren't going to get them back because he just ripped a bus off and totaled his quad. But now he just pulled his checkbook out and said, how much do you want? And they will yeah. set a number and there you go, give us all passports back, it was fine. So it worked out all right. Mate. So we're back on the end of uh, of Greece. Yeah, so we did, when Kev got kicked off, <laughs> <laughs> um, we did our thing, did the flyer and did a few clubs. Um, we did a couple of little bars and stuff. It was... I think what Clarky did was he tried to cram as much work as possible in that he could for us all. So he maybe had a little bar gig for a couple of us DJs to run all day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, we had a couple of different club, clubs. Yeah. We got, I'm sure we got Lisa Pinup. I can't, it was definitely Lisa Pinup and somebody else. We had to go to the airport to pick them up. Right, and, I, and I'm Millsy almost was there because he was. Told me the story. Did he? Did Millsy have to go and pick him up, and they were on a quad or so? I can't remember. I don't think they I was there. They nearly crashed. They nearly crashed. Yeah, the vehicle, uh, yeah, yeah, that was for then. I didn't go to pick them up, but yeah, Millsy was with us the second time, so that's when we went back. So we came back home, and I'm not sure if we went the year. We must have went the year later. I don't think we we went back twice in a summer, or maybe we did. I can't remember. Yeah, but I know we did. Two, maybe three weeks and then six weeks, or it was the other way around, six weeks and three weeks, I can't remember. But, yeah, Millsy came with us the second time, and I'm pretty sure Kev was with us then. Brilliant, eh? Brilliant. So, eh? honestly, it was it was such a laugh, eh? It was, it was so good at the time, because it, it was something new for me as well. It was something... I think it was the first time I'd ever been out the country, uh, on a plane and in a hot country and all that stuff, you know. Do you want to do you want to know something? Like, and I've I've said this to, uh, today to someone, and this is just in life as general. Like, I hope somebody listens to this and thinks, "Oh, this is relatable." Right? Nobody has a fucking clue what they're doing. But you you see yeah. people, and they can give you like you can see a sixty year old man, and he can give you life experiences and tell you what he's done. But 
everyone's learning every day. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to experience new. everything yourself. Yeah. Like I so, can't. I, there's no way I can or none of us can sit here and paint a nice picture and it work out for the person listening. It's never going to be the same. You have to go through you know, yeah, your yeah, own exactly. struggles and stuff like that. Yeah. Not everyone's is the same, and 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 what I, what I think is like you said, uh, it was all new for you at the time. Yeah. Like, that. like you get these people who are like, oh, I, I I go out and do every season, blah blah blah. Every season's new and it's yeah. different. They're not experiencing the same thing every time. No. Like new experiences. That thing we Kev could have happened that one time, and it maybe not happened another time. And like and like yeah, of it, course. It is, it's I... all brand new, and yeah. and it, it, it's life lessons. And uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, on like, with this podcast is, like, not everybody will have the ex- the, 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 um, the experience to be able to go, go and play abroad or out like that. Or it, it doesn't mean you're not, exactly, not necessarily successful or yeah. like that. But um, what, what I'm saying is it's, like, everyone's got their own goals and all like, and like that. And if you, don't, yeah. if you don't meet them, it's maybe just not the right time and place for you. Yeah, definitely. And 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 I'm only, I'm only saying this now because obviously you've, you've touched on the Greece thing. I touched on something else in the last podcast um, about um, DJing abroad and stuff. It, it's, not, it's not necessarily... Need, you, you don't need to do it. Me going to Greece after, I, after that happened... That did nothing. It didn't it boost didn't, my profile. Yeah, it, it didn't. didn't it didn't raise it, yeah. my cash here. I wasn't getting yeah. paid more. It did nothing. It was just something that I could say that I've done. That's yeah. all it was. Like it was obviously it was nice to do it and mm. nice to be on. Because to me, I was getting paid to go on holiday. That's how I seen it. Getting yeah. paid to go on holiday, do a little few hours work in the morning and go and DJ at the weekend, and that that was. That was it. That do, was do it you not for think, me. Though, like, I'm not saying your story in particular, but when you when you try and see, you see people who live on Instagram or on or on Facebook, and mm. it's like, oh, like I'm a big big time DJ. <laughs> like they don't say that in in particular. Yeah. But they'll, they'll get the picture took next to a flashy car. Yeah. And, well, and it's like not everyone's life is is nobody's life no. is like that. It's, it's that, actually fair. To be cause... fair, that person who got their picture took in front of that car, their life was like that for the amount of time they were in front of that car. When yeah. they left that car, their life isn't that life anymore. Yeah. So, or, or I'm just getting a private jet to this. Yeah, this that's gym. your life for that private jet or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, it, I mean, obviously you can, you can see why they do it because it, paints that nice picture of yeah. what this DJ is going through and that to be honest when you get to that level like the level of Ben Nicky and mm. David Rust and you know guys like them that that's just it just comes with it it comes with it you're not you're now not getting a higher car to drive yourself down yeah. Yeah. stuff like Absolutely. that so obviously it's nice but it's not everything yeah. it is nice to have that but it's it's we, the we, main we, goal we were talking weren't we off, off pod about your goals and, and, and like what do you set yourself like not everyone's got the same goal and yeah. like not everybody wants to be that person mm. I wouldn't want that lifestyle I know for, for a fact my missus wouldn't want me to have that lifestyle <laughs> when I when I first started my my aim wasn't to be a massive DJ making thousands and thousands of pounds like most yeah. people might say that's obviously what you strive for but for me I just wanted a couple of little things I wanted to headline an international gig which I did yeah. um, I wanted to get a tune out on a record a vinyl release which I did and I wanted something out on a, a album CD that you could buy in somewhere silly like, like Tesco's Morrison's, yeah, or Morrison's yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, and I hit all three of them I got to headline a show in Canada, 
when I went over there, that, that was it. As soon as I'd done that in 2006, I didn't lose interest, but I was fine. Did you feel fulfilled? Yeah, I was yeah. fine with anything extra that I got after that. Yeah. I was like, right, I've, I think I've got what I needed. So now, over the past couple of years, I've had promoters asking me if I want to go Wales to DJ Manchester and these kind of smallish gigs. And most of the time, when they mention that it's for very little to no money, mm. my reply is usually give the gig to somebody else who will appreciate it more than I will. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to turn up at your club knowing I'm not getting paid and be in a bad mood. Like, it's horrible to say, but I don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember back when I started, I appreciated any gig, whether it pays or not. And I, and I know what it felt like to have that. And I wouldn't want to take yeah, that away from somebody else. from somebody else who can do exactly the same gig that I've just turned down, but you know, feel unreal about you for the next yeah. few months afterwards. Could be their highlight of their career as well. Exactly. It could yeah. be their way in. It could be anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't... It's not that I don't want to DJ anymore. It's just I've kind of limited myself to just doing maybe what six... What you want to do, uh. Six or eight gigs a year is fine for me. Like, I'm not really interested in you know, travelling hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to play somewhere for it to just boost my profile. I, I don't need it boosted anymore. I'm yeah. not looking to be a DJ. So I'm literally just in my own little world now, do a few reworks of some classics that I like from back in the day. And I do a bunch of scratching lessons. I'm happy. I'm yeah. good. I am good now. <laughs> um... Right, well, we're going to finish this up, and I'm, I'm probably going to ask you on pod, but I'll tell you something, like, we're, we're going to make a part two of this, uh, because right, okay. we're only scratching the surface. Yeah. I feel like it anyways. Oh, I've got loads more to yeah. tell you. <laughs> yeah. I've got tons but, um, more. For this episode, but um, I'll be honest with you, like, I, I feel like we've co we've covered very little, but also a lot at the same it's time. It's just because I've rambled on, honestly. No, like, it's not I, even rambling. It, it's, yeah, to it's, me. People want to hear this part. Yeah, like, like I said to you before, if you if you ask me a question, I, like, I go through my little Homer Simpson type brain <laughs> and it just opens a can of worms and I just go off on one. I can exactly. talk But this could be a two-parter easy. Yeah. I just want to close it up with, yeah. I've asked everybody else um, what is... What is your three favorite tunes? I want to I want to change it round for you a bit. Um, right, okay. What's, what's what's your three favorite tunes you've produced? That I've produced um, can be in any genre that you. Right, well, because I'm sat next to my computer, just let me just open up a folder so I can see them all. Um, I can chop this bit off. Uh, number one, DB Boulevard, Point of View. Uh, done that maybe last year. That's probably my favorite rework I've ever done, just because uh, it's got everything in it that I like and it. It did well as well, and it's still getting played now, so I like that one. Cathy um, yep. uh, Brown, Turn Me On, Rework. That one's kind of doing all right. And a techno tune called Incoming File Transfer. Its title name is KOS. It's still me, and me and another lad done it, Sean Wilson. Right. Um, it was the one I was talking to you about that Billy yeah. Gillis started playing, uh, and then... David Russ started playing it, Ben Nicky started playing it, and everyone wanted it after that. So, yeah, so yeah they're probably my three, three favourites, yeah. Turn Me On Rework, DB Boulevard, and KOS Incoming File Transfer. 
Right, and to sign off, right, this is, this is I asked everyone this, yeah. if you have a, a Chinese meal for one. Right, I live next door to a Chinese, yep. double happiness, they do yep. a banging Singapore charming, go on. <laughs> go on, what, what's your meal for one? Meal for one. It Singap- can be as, well, they can be as big and as little as you want. Um, well, I'm only small, I can't really eat that much. Yeah. Well, I can eat a little bit, but um, I don't really order loads. Uh, Singapore charming. Fucking class choice, by the way. Um... I asked I asked them to make me sweet chili and garlic sauce because mm-hmm. it doesn't come with garlic. So I asked them to oh, chop up some in. garlic. Yeah, put some garlic in. Nice and some maybe some like egg fried rice to go with it and this salt is... and pepper chips. You don't eat much. You've just all uh, no. But the thing is, I'll split it into two meals. I'll eat some. Yeah, oh, probably yeah, you know. Well, that's do some that's, work that's probably the best choice I've had so far. Yeah, um, Singapore Charmaine's banging out of there. Class, class. Um, I just want to thank you for come on, coming on, mate. Um, oh, nice! It's been awesome. Eh? I could talk for hours. <laughs> uh, is there anything you want to plug out like that? Where where can people find your music? At? Um, SoundCloud forward slash Andy K DJ. Um, you can go to just send me a message if you want any tunes, and I'll just send them because that's all I do every day. People just ask me for tunes, and I just send them straight away within you know five minutes. Yeah. Um, gigs. I've got a couple of gigs coming up. I can't really say where they are. I can tell you where they are. I can't really say what the events are yet because I'm not really supposed to say any. But I've got a a possible big gig in Belfast and I've got a confirmed massive gig in Scotland. Um, But that's not for a while and that's going to be absolutely huge. Can't wait for that one. And I've got my next gig isn't until next month. In Sheffield, I'm doing a closing set for Saturday sessions. They've got um, David Nimmo headlining. He's yeah. an unreal trans producer and a super nice guy. Yeah. Um, Lucas Dion, he's from Poland. He has just had a release out on Damaged, Jordan Suckley's label. Yeah. Uh, I forget what the tune's called. And there's a few other DJs, and I'm doing a closing set for that event. So. That's going to be the first time I've closed the set after. It's, I'm going to be playing a little, a little bit harder than what I produce, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Give us some inspiration to make some. Are you going to play that tune that you showed us just then? Um, possibly, possibly. I'd, I'd yeah. Close with that for sure. Yeah, po- possibly some. Yeah, it will end up like you know that hard with a techno vibe at the end yeah. and stuff. So right. yeah, so that should be good. Nice one. But yeah, apart from that, we're we're good. Nice one, I appreciate it, Chrome. No Thank worries. you very much. That was that was phenomenal. <laughs> nice.